The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 67 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. The Pobscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of change and transformation within ourselves and within the world around us. In this episode, I'm talking with Annie Schusler about how our motherhood journeys entwine with our work and how we envision making our corners of the world a better place. Annie's a therapist business consultant and the creator of the Superpower Method for Therapist program and the podcast Therapist Clubhouse. She helps private practice entrepreneurs build profitable and fulfilling businesses by leveraging their unique superpowers. You can find her resources for therapists at coachingwithannie.com. Annie and I open up about how we stay present with our families, tend to and model self-care, protect against burnout, find our own rhythms, notice how we want to feel, craft our livelihoods, what we give energy to, and how we parent. And pay attention when we talk about focusing on what matters and the rituals that support. I just love Annie's cost-benefit analysis of discerning what matters. We're also sharing our commitment as white mothers of biracial children. We're listening more, witnessing more, sitting in spaces of not knowing, pondering different flavors of discomfort, and above all, staying engaged in the discussion around race and privilege. Bearing witness helps us discern where our voices are needed and notice how wisdom is being called through us. It's a journey of discovering who we really are and how we jazz things up when we remember to let ourselves shine through. We wanted to make sure to share this discussion in time for Mother's Day to remind you that you are enough. Dive in with us. Welcome back. I'm here with my dear friend, Annie. Annie, hi. Hey, Rebecca. I'm so glad you're here with me for this Mother's Day conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm excited for where we're going to go with this. We have been talking for a while about so many different things. In our own conversations, we've been diving deep in our own journeys. I think this is going to give us a chance to get to know each other better and for the listeners to get to know both of us pretty well too. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm so curious about so many things about your parenting journey. Oh, as I am about yours as well. You know, parenting is so deeply affected by our work, no matter what our work is. They play together because they're two different facets of who we are. And we often need to work in order to create the house and the home and the livelihood that supports our families. That's the why. Mm-hmm. And yet we also want to make our corners of the world a better place. And that's another piece of the why. Absolutely. So for you as a parent, I'm curious, you know, what do you feel is the most limiting either on either end, either as a mom coming home and being limited because of work, or is that not the thing anymore? And is work limited by motherhood? Mm, Such a good question. Right now, I feel like because of the way my schedule, the way that I've set up my schedule, I feel like 
work is limited by motherhood more, which in a way that's fantastic because that's Mm -hmm. the priority that I want is that, you know, my kids come first and I set up my schedule around my kids' needs and my needs and my wife's needs, but, you know, they're kids for kind of a short time, so mostly their needs. And so that means when, like I work mostly from home, when my little one gets home from school, I got to shut everything down. And sometimes I'm like, but I'm in the middle of something really good here, but I got to shut it down. Yeah. And so that's really different than, you know, my kids are six and a half years apart in age. When my older kid, who's now 15, when he was little, I felt like I didn't have enough time for parenting because so much of my time was going into work. So yeah, that's shifted for me. Yeah, that must have also shifted your relationship. I think I'm going through a bit of like an evolution of my own in here right now, where like you, so much of my parenting has been impacted by work and I'm trying to take that back. Hmm. I'm in a season of really kind of contracting And I know exactly where my clinical hours are and kind of settling them into two days a week. And especially for the summertime, I'm trying to create space so that a lot of the work I do can be more flexible. And maybe I even take off summer from things like podcasting so that I could really be present with my children. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's really important. I was actually dreaming into it a little a lot this past weekend. I was on retreat with my mentorship community. And in my own time, I was writing a lot in my journal and just thinking about what I wanted things to look like for me moving forward. And there's just so much more present time with my family that's at the top of that list. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think your idea about taking time off from the podcast, you've been a really good influence on me with that. It's such a good example of like there are business advantages perhaps to having a podcast that just goes every single week, all year long, and people know they're going to have it, you know, ready, like let's say every week at the same time when they're Mm -hmm. waiting for it. And I have podcasts like that, that I want to see every week (laughs) in my feed. But just because that would be a good thing with some advantages, does that mean that it's the right way for us to do it right now? No. Or, I feel know. like I'm really feeling that no really loudly. Yeah, good. And I think part of that is we, I think, especially in our roles as mentors and therapists and mothers and all of the things, all of the different hats we wear, we have to really model self-care. Mm-hmm. Right. And so much of that is about noticing where those spaces are, where we're at that edge. And we could keep pushing. It's not so hard to keep pushing, but something gets left behind if we do. And oftentimes it's ourselves because we're the last thing we tend to. Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like in order to really protect against burnout, really to make sure that I'm not even teetering close to burnout, I have to pull back on some things to make space for other things. And the things that I want to say yes to this summer are splashing in the water with my kids. Yeah. And maybe you kind of have to notice it, which I think you've helped me notice it. Notice it before it gets anywhere close to burnout, like you said. Uh, Notice it when it's kind of, oh, wait a minute. Is this the best way for me to be 
you know, working my rhythms? Is this the best way for me to be working my family's rhythms? I love that. Or is there something that has to shift? Yeah. Yeah. Is this the best way to be working our rhythms? That's just, oh, that makes me think a little bit about Maya Benatar. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking about influences, yeah. Let's just drop into what our rhythm is and start noticing that. I've been thinking a lot that it's like a season. You know, we go through, it will, depending on what part of the country we're in, we have seasons modeled for us differently, but we go through four seasons every year, right? There's a fall, there's a winter, there's a spring, there's a summer. And so there's all these different states of expansions and contractions. And motherhood is just like that. I mean, it literally, we start in a state like that where we're going through all these literal contractions to give birth to something. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least somebody is. One of my kids is an adoptee, but definitely came from... (laughs) A wonderful person birthing him. Well, even there, I'm sure that there were some, you know, emotional contractions that were happening. Totally. You know, so yeah. 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 What does it take to bring somebody into your family? Open your heart and your arms to becoming a mom. Yeah. I think too, Rebecca, probably for both of us, like the people who are drawn to working with us end up knowing that it's the right fit to work with one of us, probably that's part of what they're drawn to is this feeling that we're pretty interested in helping people find the right rhythm. That of course we want people to make money and, you know, be successful in that way, but that also we really focus a lot on what's going to be right for you. How is it that you want to feel in addition to how much money do you want to be making? Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think that how do you want to feel peace is is central for both of us in Mm -hmm. the work that we put out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if I weren't a parent. I mean, maybe because I've been a parent since I was like 30. So I don't know what I would be like. But for me in my journey, I know that figuring out like how I want to feel, how I want my life to feel has been always going along with how I wanted to be a parent. Yeah. I think so much of, you know, it's not always possible, not for all of us to create our own days Mm -hmm. and our own schedules Mm -hmm. like you and I are really either doing or trying to do. Yeah. But I think it's possible for pretty much all of us to decide how we spend the time we have when we have it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how distracted are we? How much are we looking at our, I hate that they're called smartphones because I don't think that they make us smarter, but how much are we looking at those things, those devices versus looking at each other? Yeah. I think this brings us to something we were talking about before, which is being focused on what really matters. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk into that a little bit? Like, what is it that matters to you? What do you focus on? Yeah. And actually something else you said just reminded me that in terms of looking at your phone and figuring out how to focus on what matters in terms of the dumb phone, I started this ritual of taking Instagram off of my phone every Friday and then putting it back on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And it just takes a couple minutes or less, but it feels like such a good ritual to be shut down. Even though I would be interested in like, what are folks up to? Maybe I could share something, but 
in the cost benefit analysis, like it really helps me to be focused on what matters to me. Can you dive into that cost benefit analysis a little bit more? Like, how do you determine that? Because I love how practical you get about it. (laughs) (laughs) So like the, the cost of taking Instagram off my phone every weekend, it means like I'm not going to get to share anything like over the weekend that happens. If it feels like, Oh, Hey, this feels really relevant or this feels like it would be really fun to share. And I do think about work. I think about my clients. I think about, you know, my professional peeps lots of times during the weekend. So there's that cost, like I'm disconnected. And then maybe even there's a marketing cost. Like maybe if I was in there on Instagram, like every day, several times a day, maybe there would be, you know, a marketing benefit. But the cost of having it there, it feels like my phone can start to become part of my body and I can start turning into a robot. And having a cleanse means that that doesn't fully happen. Like there's always a break in it. And I I kind of go back to being completely human. I think it's important to be completely human, at least (laughs) this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, even if like I'm with one of my kids and they're distracted, they're busy, I think modeling not being on my phone is kind of a big deal. That they just even (sighs) witness me just sitting there, like maybe staring into space. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's, there's so many different sides of it. I have like 12 different thoughts in my head right now. So I'm going to try to get at least two of them out. Yeah. But (laughs) the first one is my first grader, her teacher has asked us for the month of April to be totally screen free at home. Like parents are allowed to do some screen work for work, Mm -hmm. but when we're together, we're to be screen free and the kids are to be screen free. So this has been like quite the experiment and the kids have done amazing at it. Like no problems there. They're fine with it. Even have gone into restaurants and they've been like, Oh, covering their eyes. Like there's a screen in there. We got to leave. We got to go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) I have been the one that's struggling. You know, my husband, we've been the ones that are struggling because we're already conditioned by these screens, even as we put them down and we're on them less to totally pull away for an entire month has been really hard. Yeah. So does that mean that the two of you don't even like watch Netflix or anything like that? Well, we've tried. (laughs) (laughs) We've done a lot less this past month than we have in the past. So yeah, it's mean. It's meant even that. Like I'm on my computer. I'm working during the day. He's an IT professional. He's definitely on a screen during the day. But we try really hard not to be on the rest of the time. And actually, this past weekend, I went on this retreat with my mentorship community. And one evening, we had a Yin Yoga session. And afterwards, our teacher was amazing, and she was really kind of drilling this in, like. I know it's dark out. You know, I know it's late. I know you guys have other stuff to do. Whatever you do, try not to pick up your phones. Try not to pick up a screen and look at that light until morning time. So even just from like nine o'clock at night till the next morning, it was interesting to watch our group who was able to do that and who struggled with it. And for me, it opened up space to think and rest and be creative and really restore myself in an amazing way. I know you've had a similar experience. You went on a silent retreat recently with no devices or anything. Yeah. 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 It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I think because I was in that setting, but I think you're right. It just opened up 
a little more humanness, just a little more space. Yeah. I think we should all delete all the apps from our phones every weekend. Maybe just delete our phones for the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this brings me into another piece, though. As I'm sitting here and we're talking about this, I'm thinking about what happens when I'm on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it pulls me away from being with my family. It pulls me away from really giving my heart to my work. It pulls me away from maybe some of the things that really matter to me. And what does it pull me into? It pulls me into a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation, often that's based in fear or anxiety, and a lot of conversation lately around race and privilege. Hmm. Hmm. I was like, in the first part of what you said, I was like, yeah, it pulls me into comparison. It pulls me into, yeah, Hmm. sometimes even FOMO. But then that last part, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's a conversation I want to be in. Yeah, (laughs) I want to be in those conversations, right? Because I'm thinking on one hand, well, gee, this is how I can like raise my consciousness. It's how I can wake Mm -hmm. up more. Mm -hmm. It's how I can learn how to parent my kids differently. Yeah. And yet it's still pulling me away from them. (laughs) Can you give me an example? I'm really curious, like what's something that would come up on your phone and open up that conversation? Oh, Hmm. I'm going back a few months now because I haven't been on my phone very much. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just trying to remember, but I know that, and it's delightful to not have a memory of this kind of actual instance that's coming forth so presently. But I know there have been, you know, in different ways, in different communities, there's been, whether it's just the news, you know, Mm -hmm. things about our current administration or like world events that are happening, or it's things that are happening in little Facebook communities or groups or someone's page that just, it feels like it needs attention, like it needs a voice, like it needs a witness. So I don't have a particular instance right now, but I'm sure I could kind of dive in and find a bazillion of them if I were to look back. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like, yeah, any place, I think once we're paying attention, yeah. for me, this is the case at least, that there isn't any place in my life where I'm not seeing issues around privilege anytime that I look. Right. You know, so you know, whether it's as a business coach or as a therapist or at, you know, my kid's school or any place that I, you know, or online, any place that I would go, there's always some kind of opportunity to look at privilege. I wonder how much of you and I looking at this is just about, you know, this is the flavor that's in the air these days. Mm -hmm. And how much of it is that we're both also raising children who are culturally a little bit different than us? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like that we are, I mean, I'll just speak for me that there's, you know, my younger son is black. And so as I'm looking at the world, I'm partly looking at it always as his mama, right? Like, yeah, those glasses are just always on. Yeah. So if I see something about police brutality, let's just take it to the like, you know, quite common. Whenever I see something about police brutality, I'm instantly his mom looking at police brutality. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm sure that being his mom has changed how you look at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I mean, do you want me to go there for a minute? Go there. Go yeah. there. <laughs> so, like for, you know, and this is, this is so connected with, this is parenting for me that, you know, there were a few years when I had always thought of myself as really committed to anti-racism, right? Like as a lot of white people want to think of ourselves. And then when I became his mother, something else happened inside of me that just felt so much deeper. And I really went through a couple of years where I kind of didn't know what to do with myself and had a hard time dealing with white people, like really felt hurt and angry a lot of the time with white people. And I know I had seldom felt that way before. So that was a shift, you know, and then I realized, so I'm making this into a very short story because I just said this was a couple of years, but then I had another shift where I realized that there was something kind of irresponsible about that, about staying there, that I really couldn't stay there, especially with my privilege, that I had to re-engage. Like I had to, you know, get back into conversation with white people and be, you know, be talking about race and be, you know, not just talking about race with people of color, but talking about race with white people. Yeah. Had you totally stepped out of these conversations with white people? I hadn't totally stepped out, but I would often shut down in the middle. And I would kind of either, I mean, I'm pretty good at dissociating. So I I would dissociate. You too? (laughs) Or I would, you know, get kind of mad, but not be able to stay in the conversation. Mm, That feels really resonant to me. Mm. I'm also wondering, were you able to find communities or places where you could engage in the conversation, maybe with non-white people, with people of color? Yeah, definitely. And I felt like, you know, I mean, it was really generous of some people of color to be willing to talk to me in that way with my just kind of like, I don't know, my fragility, my newness to feeling in the ways that I was feeling. But absolutely, people were very generous with me. That's beautiful. It's a dance these days, isn't it? to find that space between how do we explore these difficult topics, these things that maybe our privilege has shielded us from knowing anything about, Mm -hmm. and how do we learn about them in a way that isn't in and of itself another aggression? Yeah. How do we learn without kind of, I don't know, I want to say like barfing our privilege on people. Yeah. You know, how do we do that? And how do we do it as mothers who are standing in the space of white privilege, perhaps white fragility, and not knowing, not knowing what we don't know, but raising children who have a totally different worldview than us, who we want to help and understand. Totally. Yeah. And I'm really curious what yours is. Like for me right now, because I think I'm just, I'll listen to this two years from now and be like, wow, she really was in a growing moment, you know, <laughs> but now I look back on myself, you know, six or eight years ago and I'm like, okay, so this is so far what I'm learning is to talk a lot less, 
mm-hmm. and to listen a lot more, especially with people of color, like yeah. listen a lot more, not need to chime in and say like what I know or, you know, I don't know, maybe how I want to seem different from other white people, like just giving any of that up because that's so ego and unhelpful to anybody. Yeah. And that, so not talking about anything that I need to prove, but really listening and thinking of my journey as more staying committed than being right. Like Mm. just staying with being committed, staying with learning, staying with bearing witness and not ever having an expectation of being right or knowing enough or, you know, getting there. Yeah. I guess every one of us, to some extent, has their own lens that they see things through. And my lens is incredibly colored by this idea of being a witness. I grew up on my paternal side with two Holocaust surviving grandparents. That is a lens that I bring with me into to how I witness, how I show up in the world. I'm looking at through this eyes of liberating and justice and trying to forever. I, mean, I remember being in like my sophomore year in college and thinking about good and evil and how things find balance in the world in my philosophy and religion classes and trying to make sense of everything heinous that has ever happened to humanity. Mm. So this is the lens that I bring forth that I try to see the world through and it's imperfect Mm. and I miss a lot because it's not my lived experience. And as a mother to two mixed Caucasian Asian girls, Maybe I should throw in Jewish, Caucasian, Asian, but I don't know if it matters because that's not always perceived. They notice their differences in school. They notice their differences in the community. They notice their differences when their skin turns so, so dark and all of their classmates have so, so blonde hair. You know, they notice their differences and they bring those home. And so I'm starting to learn to see it the way that they share it with me. Hmm. And in conversations with others like you, I'm, I'm learning to be a lot quieter, but I'm also trying to learn where to use my voice and support. That's been a tough one for me. I'm very confused there often. Mm. And like using your voice and support and not trying to be like the white savior or just not always knowing like, when should I speak up? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing something that doesn't feel right here. Is is this the place where I say something or do I take a step back and let somebody else who, like, how do I be a really good ally? And I think there's been a lot of conversations on the podcast with some amazing, amazing guests who have really taken us there. And we've talked about these subjects quite a bit mm-hmm. and I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not ever one right answer. No, And I think that's the key here mm-hmm. is that once we get to a place where we think we know, then we are no longer knowing anything. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we have to stay as humans. We have to stay in this place of like, what's next for me to absorb here? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, this is the mother, right? Like the mother. Hmm. <laughs> Gosh, this conversation's coming full circle. I'm now thinking of things like, you know, just this planet, this universe, like how we're all held. 
-hmm. and how like all of the people, you know, we're all children of this planet. I'm thinking of like the great earth mother kind of mother. (laughs) I'm kind of coming there. So I'm just feeling into that a little bit. Mm. I'm thinking of something else that you just said that I want to pick up on too about like not knowing and trying to figure it out that there's something so uncomfortable about that. Yeah. And I think, I think maybe as a white person, definitely as a white mom to a beautiful black child, it feels like I have to get so comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Well, we've been asking the rest of the world to be comfortable in their own discomfort Yeah. <laughs> for eons. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I think that can be a little bit confusing in that like, okay, so discomfort, like we've decided discomfort is okay and that we want to listen, we want to bear witness, we want to know that we're not necessarily right, but we're staying in the conversation. And that feels like a really different kind of discomfort than like, I know you and I both really believe in listening to your body listening to what your body is telling you, listening to your inner wisdom. And so then this is a place where discomfort around not knowing and around our own privilege, we have to listen in a different way. Like we have to say, no, in this case, it's really okay for me to feel distressed or uncomfortable or like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Whereas maybe in some other situations, as a feminist, as times when we're standing up for ourselves, we need to feel like we're going to listen to our bodies and fight against discomfort. Yeah, I I like this distinction that you're drawing out here. I think that there's, I'm not exactly sure where there's a line, but I know that there's some form of something. Mm -hmm. And I'm still feeling into this with you, but I'm thinking of like conversations around consent, like around like, this is my body (laughs) and this is how far it's okay for you to push or this is what I'm willing to tolerate because this is my knowing, my body and I sense that this doesn't feel good and so I'm going to let you know that. I'm going to speak up. That's a different kind of discomfort and knowing and speaking into than the more social stuff, which I think is still, in some ways, we're still feeling into it. We're still trying to figure out where it feels. Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. if we're feeling discomfort because there's a part of us that wants to protect our privilege or protect our not having to know, then yeah. that's something we're committed to, you know, busting through. Yeah. Well, I get uncomfortable in my relationship with my husband daily, mm. right? Mm. I'm thinking most intimate relationships are this way. And it's not because there's something non-consensual happening, but it's because there's something that's very much witnessing happening. Like you have to look at yourself in relationship with others. You have to see the dark, murky, shadowy parts of yourself, even the rage and all of the ugly emotions, the shame that you don't want to carry, but they're there. You have to Mm. sit with them. Yeah. And that's discomfort we're really committed to. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm thinking about parenting. So I'm away all weekend. I come home for just any reason at all. I remember the two reasons. One, I don't remember, but my girls both fell apart at different times and just needed to collapse into my arms and cry uncontrollably for at least 10 minutes each. And then they were fine. But they needed those moments of like, Mm -hmm. 
falling, falling apart in my arms and being held. Like that was a witnessing and it wasn't comfortable. I didn't like doing it. I would have loved to tell them, just stop crying. You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that wasn't going to get them anywhere. They had to work through the stuff they were feeling. That's Mm -hmm. the witnessing. That's the mothering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the commitment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it sucks. (laughs) There are times where it sucks. Yeah. I'm curious if there have been times for you with your girls. I mean, I know it could happen, you know, with or without your girls, but if there have been times when you have seen things happening that are not okay around race and had to speak up, had to figure out, you know, how you were going to navigate. Yeah. One story that kind of comes to mind, it's kind of on the benign side, but it felt impactful in the moment. We were reading a children's book, just me and my girls here at home. It wasn't even like something outside of my house, but I felt the need to speak up in this case. We were reading a children's book and there were a lot of different kinds of illustrative children in this book, all with different colors of skin and hair. And for some reason, my girls pointed to one little child of color and said they didn't like that character. Mm. And we ended up having a really big conversation about why and what it was and how different is beautiful and how we have to keep ourselves open to getting to know humans Mm. instead of creating judgments. And then we moved into talking about how they saw themselves and how they saw their classmates. And one of my daughters has a more ethnic class than the other. Mm -hmm. So we were, you know, talking a lot just around what they observe and what they know and what their world is. But that was an important and very impactful conversation. And since then, they've expanded in different ways. They've, you know, little girls, they like to go buy things like dolls. And a lot of their selections of dolls have even changed since that conversation. I'm pretty particular about not just letting blonde-haired Caucasian dolls into my house. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But we've started to expand more about just around what they're drawn to, even what they draw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it feels benign, but it feels like it was an important conversation for us. What about you? Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is like a time when my kid, he was five or six at the time. And he and a couple of his classmates who were really tight were getting into some kind of mischief. (laughs) They were getting into some kind of trouble together. And a parent called me and said, and she was very well-meaning, absolutely. And I appreciated her calling me instead of not calling me. But what she said was that everybody was pretty clear that my kid was the ringleader. And I was just kind of I was like, oh, any reason for that? And there wasn't any reason that she could really come up with, or at least that she wanted to share with me, but it just felt so racial. It just felt so much like because, you know, the other kids were not African-American and he is, and it felt like their unconscious bias was just all up in there. Yeah. And like in that moment, I was just kind of dissociated. Like I just kind of shut down and felt like a punch in the gut. But it was one of the things that ended up 
helping us know that we had to switch schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that if this was happening when he was five or six, that this was going to really keep increasing. Yeah. I also noticed when I brought up with her or when I brought up with anyone else, like what I saw happening, that people were so defensive, like that it was really impossible. And at least in that moment, it was really impossible for them to hear me and hear what I was seeing because it just felt like you can't be saying that I'm racist and here are all the reasons why I couldn't possibly be racist. So there couldn't be a conversation. Right. It shuts down before it begins. I've certainly found myself in moments where it's been impossible to bring up the conversation that I really feel is underneath. I have had similar moments where I feel that my children are being singled out for something because of the fact that they're a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kind of, I mean, I don't want to lump you into this, but I feel like for me, like I was kind of ill-equipped because I'm white. My parents are white. So I never experienced this. I mean, I can say, oh, there are times people didn't like me or, you know, it's just completely different. So I really had to learn quick. And I don't know, but I don't know if your partner's also in the same place as you. I know for me, my partner, he's grown up as an Asian man. Yeah. So his experience of the world is, is more in line with, with our daughters. And it's been really interesting to sit down and have conversations. When I get uppity about something and he's like, okay, that's your privilege. <laughs> like he puts me in check, you know, because he's like all that anxiety and stuff you've been feeling, like I've been living in that space forever. Mm. And this is what we do. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, no, my wife is white too. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're both in this space of learning together. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm. I want to stay with this and shift gears a little bit at the same time. Yeah, and I loved what you were bringing up about the big mother a few minutes ago too. Yeah. Mm. You know, because I think that there's something that holds us and I think it holds us in this space of uncertainty Mm. and it allows us to drop into our sensitivities. Mm. So the place that I want to kind of go to is this conversation about being really like, how do we select what we give our energy to? Mm-hmm. Whether it's these deeper conversations around race and privilege, which are so important, all the other potential ways that we could help to better the world, ways that we could better ourselves and our families, <laughs> the ways that we grow our businesses or do better at work, whatever the thing is, how do you select what you give your energy to? Oh man, that's such a good question. I feel like that's what I'm really trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that Me is, the, yeah, that's the best question. And I feel like partly I'm, this might sound weird, Rebecca, but partly I'm feeling my way into what doesn't feel boring to me. That like what feels really important, what feels like it's got some juice to it is usually a direction that I need to go. So you're talking into flow. Yeah. 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 Because naturally I'm feeling like my values of wanting to actually contribute, wanting to, you know, do something that's part of what's important that, you know, that naturally has me, more interested in some things than others. 
right? Like, so I'm less interested in marketing funnels right now, although I can do that and that's fun. Like I'm less interested in that than like helping people find their bigger message. Yeah. For example. So like in my business, that's part of how it plays out. And like, I'm more interested in getting to hear different voices that are, you know, different from mine than I am kind of hearing from people really similar to me over and over again. So that kind of thing, it feels like luckily sort of happens if I follow what's interesting. And so how does following what's interesting impact like home life? Mm. I mean, one thing is I think, okay, so my 15 year old is the person who edits my podcast. So can you edit mine too, please? No, no, don't get me wrong. I have an amazing editor, but I just think it's awesome that your 15-year-old does that. (laughs) It's cool because it means that then he's listening to all the conversations I'm having. Oh, Um, so you can dive in with him. Yeah. I mean, and he sometimes doesn't want to talk about it. He'll say like, you know, yeah, it's all a little boring to me. He'll say... (laughs) But he's being paid, so that's okay. But yeah, he's already heard all of the conversations, so I can reference anything and say, oh, you know, this person I talked to a couple weeks ago, now she's doing this, and and he knows what I'm talking about. So that's really helpful. And then I can also feel like I like it that what I'm modeling for him is following things that really matter to me. Yeah rather than just like trying to make a buck. Can we stay there for a minute? Yeah. Because I think this is really important. And I see this in a lot of different places where I show up as a mother. Because I don't just show up as a mother at home, which is an important, important place. And I'm grounded in being a mom and just like showing up as that. But I noticed that as a therapist, as a mentor to other therapists, in all of these other roles I take on, I show up as a mom there too. Mm. And so much of how I do my work is what gives others permission to do theirs. How I show up for my kids is what gives them permission to show up for themselves. How I create my messaging is what gives my clients permission to dive in and figure out that they have their own messaging. Mm. And how I relate to my clinical clients is what gives them permission to learn how to relate to themselves and others. All of it comes through in that way. Mm, That's great. I got a massage yesterday and masseuse, he was really good at what he does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But he said to me, he was talking about the mother and the father at some point in here. And he said, you know, fathers take action. They do. Mm. Mothers are, they be. Mm. They're the ones who like can sit in something and just be in it. They can be the witness. They can hold. Hmm. So by doing your work the way that you do, where you're doing so much witnessing, I mean, you do a lot of doing too, but like doing a lot of witnessing and helping people see themselves in some ways, that's an extension of mothering. Probably. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we all have aspects of all of it in Mm -hmm. us, right? Mm -hmm. We all have a mother and a father inside of us. We all are all of these pieces, the masculine, the feminine. Mm -hmm. There's a fluidity. It's not just gender. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Which I think is another piece of this conversation, right? If we're talking about race and privilege, I think we also need to talk about gender and sexuality. And I think it's all part of the same conversation of who am I and what is other and how do I make space to witness all of it? Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if this is related, Rebecca, but it just came to mind that my wife is an artist mostly with her time at work. She makes signs and she works for a sign company, but she's an artist and she recently started committing more of her time and energy to making her own art. And by being more of who I think she really is, she's kind of brought this new energy and life to the family where there's just kind of more excitement and like we're all a little bit more jazzed. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. I think the more every single one of us discovers Mm -hmm. like our innate nature of who we are, Mm -hmm. the more we can like actually show up and not be asleep in our lives. Mm -hmm. And maybe I know we're around Mother's Day when you're putting this out, like maybe that's something that mothers and, you know, all parents can probably fall out of is Mm. being more us and like kind of following who we need to be and what we need to be doing. We can really fall into helping other people be what they need to be, but we really do jazz things up when we remember to do that too. Yeah. I think this is a good conversation for everybody, not just mothers, but but for everybody to really kind of highlight how important it is to like let yourself shine through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some reason, that's what you and I just love. Like that's I know. what we just like. <laughs> what we connect to, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should we tease our listeners? Yeah. Okay. Because we've been chatting for a while now about possibly putting something out into the world together. Mm-hmm. And you came up with a really cool name for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should let that we should kind of simmer for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but just to kind of let them know that if they're interested in diving deeper, we might have something to share with them someday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one to sit on, Annie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a good example. Like we're both getting so like giddy. I know. Thinking about this new collaboration and I think that that is like that energy of us like stepping more into doing something that excites us and that yeah. is not us. Yeah. 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 And you know that also brings forth the same energy to the mm-hmm. people that we serve to really helping them highlight what does that for them. Yes. Yeah. You know, just one thing I've noticed is that the closer I get to discovering myself Sometimes I also start looking for more teachers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that process of looking for more teachers is really a way of backing off of noticing myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we already know everything we need to know. Sometimes we're good enough just as we are. Mm. So are you saying kind of like we'll be looking for a teacher who has the qualities or has the knowledge that maybe we already have? Maybe. Mm. I mean, it depends, right? Like I'm thinking just of myself and like my schedule for 2018 and all the different trainings that I'm going to or different conferences or different things here or there. And what am I getting from each of them? I know 
I know pretty much exactly what I'm getting from everything I've signed up for. Hmm. But I also know that every time I go to something, it pulls me away from my family. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So there's a, an edge there that I have to balance on. And then I re-examine like this thing that I'm going to. Why am I going? What am I going to get from it? What do I need from it? And sometimes when I come back to examining it, I realize I don't need the thing. Mm. I think sometimes, and I hear this with many, many people that I work with who think that they're not good enough or not ready yet, or they have to do this one or 1,200 other things first. Yeah. Once I get certified, once I do this. Yep. Yep. I want to just bring it back because I think no matter where we are on our path, looking for teachers is always something that we do. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the teacher we all need to meet is the one inside of us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's partly about being enough. Mm-hmm. Like if you know you're enough and, you know, you want another teacher, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. But if you're, like it depends where it's coming from, like yeah. which part of you is the desire for a teacher coming from. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah, I think of it like a witness, you know, like if you can witness where, where that's coming from mm-hmm. and that teacher makes sense, then it makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe that's what comes back even to the earlier conversation we were having around where to speak up. Maybe the conversation, maybe just end with a question, but maybe it goes there too. Maybe it's about like first witnessing and then deciding if the speaking is necessary. Yeah. What kind of speaking, like what kind of wise speaking? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Annie, thank you for this dance. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I loved also getting to learn more about you. Oh, same. It's such a treat. I know. I love every time I get to learn more about you too. Thanks for sharing you with my listeners. Thank you. And I hope everybody is going to remember that they're enough. Yeah. Around Mother's Day and around all the time. Yeah. Permission to just witness yourself in here, too. Mm-hmm. Thanks. We're still accepting enrollment in our Wild Women discussion groups. They meet online the last Thursday of the month through September 2018. We're journeying together and remembering who we are, what we're made of, and why we're here. Go to practiceofbeingseen.com slash events to learn more. And we're currently recruiting for our Integrative Mastermind. It's designed for therapists and healers to help you release blockages, cultivate your visions, tend to yourself and the relationships that support you. Our focus is on integrating your personal and professional parts in full support of you thriving in all aspects of your life, relationships, and livelihood. All of these layers, after all, play together to either elevate you to the next level or hold you stuck in a loop of overwhelm and inaction. Learn more about the mastermind over at practiceofbeingseen.com slash mastermind. And you're always welcome to send me a message at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the amazing behind-the-scenes support of Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show, and you'll join us next week for another episode of The Pobscast, brought to you by Connectfulness. Connectfulness.